Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. And new this year, we've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in his mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com. DiscerningHearts.com presents St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is a popular author working in the area of church history, specializing in patristics, the study of the early church fathers. He is the executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, a Roman Catholic research center based in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a contributing editor of Angelus Magazine and a general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. He is the author or editor of more than 50 books, including St. Joseph and His World, the book on which this series is based. He has hosted 11 television series on the Eternal Word Television Network and is a frequent guest commentator on Catholic Radio. St. Joseph and His World, with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, great to be back, Chris. I hope all of our listeners out there have grown to appreciate how much I love St. Joseph and his world. I would say it's an anointed type of work because it seems to have come just at the right time. It made its appearance in the world the right time, and it's just exactly what I needed, and I think it will be for many people to get to know this incredible St. Joseph. Well, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for for the life of St. Joseph, for the vocation of St. Joseph, and and for the timing of all of this. Really, as an author, I found it gratifying, and it made me happy, you know, that on the very day the book came out, the very day the book was in the the warehouse, Pope Francis made this announcement of a year of St. Joseph. So it it is a, a, a good chance, I think, this year to turn our attention to the Holy Patriarch and really make our relationship with him personal, to get to know him as St. Teresa of Avila did, to make him the model for parents and for workers and for all of the other roles that we have, because he did excel in these things. And he did it in his quiet way without drawing attention to himself, but really, really responding to the circumstances where he found himself and getting things done, getting them done the right way. In the closing of the book, you offer a brief reflection on prudence. Tell us about that. Uh, Well, uh, you know, it really is the signal virtue of St. Joseph. We can talk about his simplicity. We can talk about his integrity because he really was a man where his thoughts, words, and deeds kind of matched up exactly. And in his simplicity, he really did kind of live a life of simplicity, of focus on the things that were at hand and that, that needed his attention. 
But what we see uniting all of his other virtues is the virtue of prudence. If we read St. Thomas Aquinas, if we read St. Thomas's followers from the 20th century in our own time, we learn that prudence really is the one virtue that kind of coordinates the others. And it's, it's really necessary, and it's really misunderstood today. We use the word in a strange way. Sometimes when you see a movie or a television show, you'll find the coward saying, well, is that the prudent course of action? And, and you know that he's saying this out of fear because he doesn't want to act. You know, so he's raising his caution under the guise of prudence, you know, where he's going to, to use this as a delay tactic. So that's how we think of prudence in this day and age. You know, we think of it as, as something that says on the one hand and on the other hand forever and never really gets around to action. But that's not the way Christians have thought of the virtue. It, it's not the way St. Joseph lived the virtue. You know, the reflection of the prudent man leads to action. You know, we can see this in the catechism. The catechism calls prudence the virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. And St. Thomas called it right reason in action. Okay, So prudence is a virtue that's ordered to action. And this is something we see in St. Joseph. He does ponder things. You know, He does kind of size things up. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about them. He doesn't agonize over them. We have no laments in the words of St. Joseph, but he thinks, he prays. He, he knows communion with the holy angels and with God through his fidelity uh, to the angel's message. And then he acts, you know, and when he acts, he acts decisively. So yeah, we see him as a prudent man in the, the texts of Holy Scripture. Prudence, you described it so well, the fact that so often we looked at as a timidity. It is, uh, you know, in, and you can see so much in the life of St. Joseph, because even when he makes a wrong decision, you can see that he does it with a certain resolve. I've thought about this. This is the best I can conclude given the lights that I have. And then he resolves to act. Okay. So when he's faced by the pregnancy of his betrothed, he doesn't know what to do with it. He's struck by awe. He has a certain holy fear about it and incomprehension, perplexity. So he just resolves that he can't deal with this and he's going to divorce her quietly later on. He's going to go through with it to make things smooth for her and then he'll divor divorce her quietly. But after the, the visit from the angel, when he receives additional information and he receives the divine perspective on things, he changes his course of action, and he's just as resolute. No, he's more resolute, and he decides to go forward with the marriage, with this adventure of being a husband and father. So we can see that he acts prudently. That doesn't mean he's infallible. He makes some decisions that aren't the correct ones, but he does things prudently. Yeah, I think he's a real patron for discernment, honestly. I, the more yes. I've come to know Joseph, because he listens deeply. I mean, that's what obedience, uh, ultimately the origin of the word, as you know, Mike, it's to listen deeply. Because when you do that, then you, you, there's a wisdom that's gained because, and yes. a knowledge and so many, so many other things. How often do we take time to actually do that? You know, we see the same qualities in St. Joseph's wife and the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, when the angel presents her with God's vocation for her, you know, and tells her, 
she's been chosen to bear the Messiah, she, she says, how can this be? For I do not know man. It's not that she's giving resistance to God's will, but she's trying to understand God's will. What we find in her is an intelligent obedience and an obedient intelligence. And really, we find the same thing in St. Joseph, although his is, is far quieter than that of his wife's. He's a silent man, but he's a man of great depths, and he's always thinking. He's always processing what's going on. He's always taking in what's true and perceiving reality and then conforming his actions to what is real. It's important to remember, too, as you point out in the book, I mean, he really is genuinely steeped in his faith. I mean, he is saturated. So in his beliefs and his relationship, as it were, with God. Yes, and you can see that in his knowledge of the law. You can see it in his desire to follow the law, even if it's presenting him with, with something very difficult. And you can see it in his devotion to the holy angels. There we see in a very practical way how he has been formed as a Jew in his time. He's obviously a religious man. He's, his neighbors recognize this and call him the just man. He really does represent kind of a model for the well-formed believer in biblical religion. He's remarkable. You know, if you knew him, you would admire him. If he was the guy next door, you'd admire him. Even if he didn't say a lot to you, you, you'd still look to him with admiration and want to be like him. That prudence plays over into everyday life. It's not just for big decisions. It becomes such a part of who you are. And that's a real lesson for all of us, because it, can it be said, Mike, that we can go about every day trying to make decisions, but it's not something that I'm separated from my faith and from what I've been formed into, who I am, my creed. I make decisions from that. that <laughs> yes, yes, you know, uh, yes, yes. We, you know, we see so little of St. Joseph's life in the pages of scriptures, but what we do see confirms this. Think about the flight into Egypt where he had to, to act quickly and decisively, size up the situation. He had to choose a route based on the dangers he might encounter, but also the speed it would afford him for getting to his destination. And then he had to follow it and do everything quickly. At every intersection of the road, he had to make a prudent decision about whether to turn or whether to continue straight. And he had to do this many times along the way. Once he had decided on a course, he knew that he might have to change direction based on information he gathered along the way. And certainly he was, he was trying to gather information along the way if he encountered people he knew. He would want to know the update on Herod's activity in this warrant that was out for the child who was the Messiah. But then something interesting about the account, uh, it's the great silence of the hidden years. Once they return to the Holy Land, the, the family, once the family returns to the Holy Land, we hear almost nothing. <laughs> there they are living in the village, living day to day, thousands of days, thousands of work days, and apparently without an incident that's worth remarking on, Joseph knew how to live a life without drama. <laughs> My daughter once uh, lived in a home with, I think there were seven other young women living in it. They were all the age of college students. And she said that they made a decision early on to have one rule, no drama. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that one. Seven girls, good luck. 
Well, you know, it appears that St. Joseph was able to conduct his life, his professional life and his personal life, without any drama that was worth remarking on in the Gospels. There was no incident that stands out that bore retelling in the pages of the New Testament. And that says something. It takes us a good 10 years, maybe, to get to the next thing in the life of Jesus. Why is that? Well, because St. Joseph knew how to work with his wife to create a pleasant atmosphere for the family, how to roll with the things they encountered day to day and be at peace uh, with God's will for the moment. I'm sure those days weren't all easy. And I'm sure that they occasionally encountered problems, you know, with the neighbors or, or with a client or with coworkers or, you know, such things. The, the, the kind of drama that does royal the neighborhood or royal the workplace every now and then. But they knew how to roll with it. You know, they knew how to call upon the help of God. They knew how to see these transitory things for what they were and to value them accordingly and to continue loving people even when people were difficult. I think those are all conclusions we can make based on what we can see in the New Testament and what we don't see in the New Testament. St. Joseph was a prudent man. We can be certain of that. And we see his prudence in the few episodes that we have from his life. We can assume his prudence in those episodes that we know nothing about. <laughs> you know the popular song, The Gambler. Uh, you got to know when to, when to hold him, when to fold him, when to walk away, and when to run. You know, uh, And, and St. Joseph seemed to know that, know these things, uh, because he exercised prudence and because he saw reality in its fullness. Mm. If we're just looking at the material conditions of life, then we're not seeing it in its fullness. We have to look at the spiritual reality. We have to look at the created order as created, as a product ordered by the creator. You know, it's, it's given order by the creator. And we have to try to discern his order in the creation and in the events of history and find out where we belong in the course of human events. So it's not always going to be a clear-cut answer. There's no one-size-fits-all solution. In your reflection on prudence, there was the warning, essentially, from Joseph Pieper that you bring forward, that something called the falsification of memory. Do you want to discuss that? Yes. You know, I, I mean, I think we all have a tendency to do this, right? When we have a conflict at work, for example, and we come home from work, and we're tired and we're irritable because of something that happened, you know, some disagreement we had in the, the previous hours. We tell the story to the people at home, you know, whether our, our roommates or our, our spouse or whatever, but we tell the story. And in that story, we are usually the hero or we are usually the innocent victim. And the other person is usually just plain wrong and is the perpetrator of some, <laughs> you know, metaphorically violent act against us, you know, our persecutor. This is the way we tell the story. We're wearing the white hat. Other people are wearing the black hat. Uh, and that's just the way it is. But, you know, it isn't that way. Mm -hmm. And we usually know that in our heart of hearts. We usually know that we bear some fault for a misunderstanding or whatever, that things aren't as clear cut. And the other person has a, a side of the story to tell. We just don't tell that story. The problem is that we get used to these stories that we tell, and we preserve them as if they're true memories. And we kind of build our lives on these falsehoods 
these stories as we choose to remember them. And if that's the case, you know, we're falsifying our account of our lives. We're falsifying what we know about ourselves. We're not really working with reality. So this is a real danger. And of course, the way around this is to do an examination of conscience every day, to examine ourselves, examine our actions, examine our thoughts, and to ask ourselves in a way that demands savage sincerity, what was my part in this? What was my fault in this? How can I see this conflict? How can I see this event as God saw it? Not as I'm presenting it to my spouse at the end of the day, not as I'm presenting it for my vindication, but as it really was. In order to be prudent, we have to see reality as it is in its fullness from God's view as best as we can. So we have to ask God's help and we have to ask him for that vision, that perspective. That's the the only way we can go forward with prudence is if we see things as they are. And the only way we can see things as they are is if we make an effort to do so. We make that examination of conscience, make it habitually, and really be hard on ourselves in it, you know, to to look at our lives and, and try to see what's really going on. We'll return to St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. From a letter from St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 6. Be strengthened in the Lord in the might of his power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness on high. Therefore, take up the armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil every day and stand in all things perfect. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of justice and having your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, in all things taking up the shield of faith with which you may be able to quench all fiery darts of the most wicked one. And take for yourself the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. With all prayer and supplication, pray at all times in the Spirit, and be vigilant in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We now return to St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilino. It's quite a journey that you've been on with St. Joseph, Mike, and you've kind of, you've shined the light so beautifully for all of us. 
I am just taken aback by all of the saints that have turned to him in a strong, strong way. It was fashioned over years of experience of having him as a great intercessor, uh, one uh, companion in prayer. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, I grew up with it. My mother, who was a very devout and it seems to me a very holy person, had a deep devotion to St. Joseph. And my, my brother, with whom I'm very close, uh, would not be alive were it not for St. Joseph. My mother uh, gave birth prematurely to him in 1954. And at that time, you know, there was no NICU. There were no machines that could really do much uh, to keep a very premature baby alive. And yet she prayed to St. Joseph and the baby lived. And she named the baby Joseph my brother Joe. And when it came time for my confirmation, I chose my Joseph as my confirmation name and St. Joseph as my, my confirmation saint. And I asked my brother Joe to stand as my sponsor. So this is a certain fulfillment of justice for me and of duty. And it's a sweet obligation I had to fulfill. If I'm going to be the author of however many books I've written by now, one of them had better be about St. Joseph. Well, it explains everything. He probably has been in the background of all those books, but he was hidden. <laughs> That's right. That's the way he operates. That is. For many people, I, I don't think we appreciate how, as you said, that it really flourished devotion to St. Joseph in the Americas. Yes, you know, that's a wonderful thing that's been brought out by the great theologian, uh, American theologian of Josephology, Father Joseph Corpening. And he's published many books on this topic, demonstrating that devotion to St. Joseph came to full flourishing in Spanish America, Latin America, and in French Canada. These are the two places where it seemed independently of one another, it came into fullness. And we see it in the Oratory of St. Joseph up in Montreal. We see it all through South and Central America, but especially, you know, I think in devotion to the Holy Family, we find in the Cusco School of Art. Father Corpening likes to point that out, that the images, they show Joseph in the Spanish style, in the continental style of artwork, of portraiture, and yet they show him as a native man. They show him with all of the characteristics of a South American native. So there's a beautiful devotion that arises there at the time of the conquest and the centuries afterwards. We're still enjoying the fruits of all of this today. If we have devotion to St. Joseph, and if it's increasing in our own day, we, we owe so much to those people in Latin America and in French Canada who worked hard to establish the base of, of devotion and to promote it for so many years. You know, I've heard this before, and I, I, why didn't I make the connection? But I've heard the, the phrase, go to Joseph. And you remind us, that goes back to the first Joseph. That's right. You know, it's, it's been obvious to Christian preachers since the beginning of the church that the New Testament Joseph was prefigured, was foreshadowed by the Old Testament patriarch Joseph. He was the man who took his family into Egypt in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we see St. Joseph following the same path, going into Egypt with his family. So yes, in so many ways, the old Joseph prefigures the new. The old Joseph was also celebrated as a man of, of heroic chastity. You know, he was wrongly accused of making advances at a woman, and he was vindicated in his time. 
And the New Testament Joseph is a man of chastity. You know, that's one thing about him we never see questioned in the New Testament. The way God works, you know, he foreshadows things. We see them fulfilled. This is the pattern in sacred history. We see it working itself out from the Old Testament to the New. And really, the same kind of typology, the same kind of patterns of action, we can see continuing in our own time. These types come to a certain fulfillment in the sacraments of the church. We still participate in them today, and God works in our lives in powerful ways, just as he did in the life of the Old Testament Joseph and rescuing him, and in the life of the New Testament Joseph and rescuing him and his family from grave dangers. We check into the sacraments, and we step into that stream of sacred history, and we know that God is going to be there to guide us through, to guide us to the other side, and to get us there safely. It's a very tender thought that you bring forward that Jesus chose to be obedient to his father. That is demonstrated in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. It's right after the, the finding in the temple. He would, You said it is unlikely he has given up that good habit, even today. And so when you, someone like Teresa of Avila will go to Joseph because she truly believes that he will intercede for us. That's right. You know, that familial relationship endures. You know, once a father, always a father. And that's why we call upon Joseph for his intercession even today. And he's shown himself to a great intercessor. I have thought so much about that passage you just mentioned, you know, where it says that Jesus went home and he was obedient to his mother and his father. This is a remarkable thing for God himself to submit to the authority of his creatures. They must have been extraordinary creatures and truly great because God would not be obedient in anything that was sinful. He would not be complicit in anything that is sinful. So, uh, you know, he may have had to endure things. In, he may have uh, had to endure the violence, for example, of, of sinful men later on in his life, you know, in the Passion. But he would not have been obedient to them. The fact that he was obedient to Mary and Joseph shows us their great virtue, their extraordinary virtue, which was a grace from God, which was a special grace from God, because it was needed in order to make that home a temple of Almighty God. Jesus was always there in his father's house when he was in the presence of St. Joseph, when he was in the home at Nazareth, just as he was in the temple in Jerusalem. And St. Joseph was the image, the earthly image of his heavenly father. And he remains that for us today. So many saints have referred to the Holy Family as the earthly trinity. And that's how we experience them today. Uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph represent for us uh, an earthly image of the life of the trinity in heaven, a perfect communion. And so we pray, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I give you my heart and soul. And when we do that, we can have the confidence of brothers of Jesus, of sons of the Father, of sons of Mary, and we can go forward uh, with a certain peace in life. It's interesting to reflect that in approved private revelations that have occurred, apparitions, as it were, when I think of the children at Fatima, one of the things that they saw in their experience was a vision of the Holy Family. And Joseph was right there. I think of Our Lady of Knock, which is a a big one from my Irish tradition, my background of hearing so often. It was Mary and, of course, John the Evangelist that appears to the people, and, of course, Jesus, but also Joseph. Joseph 
continues to have a prominent place. And there's a reason for his presence in these tableaus. And once again, in these things, he's still not talking. (laughs) He doesn't say anything in those instances, but I just think that's really, in a real way, a Holy Spirit's affirmation that he is still and always will be very important. That's absolutely right. You know, God placed his trust in Joseph for the most important task of history, and he continues to place his trust in Joseph. Uh, We live in the communion of saints. We still live in relation so that even after death, we're still in communion with one another, taking care of one another. We see that in the book of Revelation. We see it in the epistle to the Hebrews, that there is a communion between us the living on earth and those who have gone on to their reward in heaven. They intercede for us. They cheer us on. They're intensely aware of us. And, uh, and they're, they're hoping for the best in each and every one of us. If we go to Joseph, even today, we will enjoy the fruits of his intercession. Well, I am sad in a way that this is our conversations on St. Joseph are coming to a closure. But then on the other hand, St. Joseph has become even more vibrant and that the relationship with him is going to continue to grow even stronger. So I'm just so grateful for that, Mike. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity. It's been such a, a fun conversation, really. It's always great talking with you, Chris. You bring out the joy in theological truth and historical truth. You really do see it as the story that it is and the great adventure that it is. And you always bring out our role in that story and our our part in that adventure. And we need more of that today. Mike, I have to say this. It's a true communion that you give, you pass on. You're not just teaching, but if I exhibit any type of joy, it's a reflection of yours. So I just am so grateful. Glory to God in all things. I hope he. I. I. I hope uh, he gives me many more years of writing. I have much more I want to do. Me too. Keep writing. <laughs> keep living and keep writing. Thank you so much, Mike Aquilina. Thanks for having me, Chris. You've been listening to Saint Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina. To learn more about this subject, you can purchase the book Saint Joseph and His World, on which this series is based. Visit scepterpublishers.org, the website for the publisher, Scepter Publishers. Or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. Or you can find it in the Discerning Hearts free app. This has been a production of the Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will please pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our effort. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com. And join us next time for St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina.